All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to do a one week uh, in Luke chapter 3, and then next week we're going to get back into our study of 1 Thessalonians. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles in front of you, it's on page 858. And as you're turning there to prepare our minds to understand the text today, I want to tell you about a little project that's going on around us. Uh, If you live in the Freeland area, you probably know about the Chipshot Heights building thing. Well, that's very close to our house. Uh, They're going to put about, the plan is for about 29 houses on that five acres of property. And every day, multiple times a day, I'm going past that piece of property, and so I remember when there were a lot of trees there, and you couldn't see all the deer that were there, all the flocks and flocks of deer. Um, But then they cleared the trees, and then they smoothed out the land. And it felt like that preparation just took forever. Being on one of our normal walking routes for the dog, and since I know the owner of that company, I kept saying to him, look, you got to do something new. I'm getting bored on my walk. (laughs) But within the last six months or so, you could see the beginning of foundations being poured, of walls being raised, and now there are about three to four, I think, completed houses on that lot. And what I noticed about the process since it's not a normal part of my life or my job, is all of the preparation that went into this property. Before these houses, which seemed to go up in a week or so, or even less than that. But all of the preparation before and took so much longer than the actual building of the house. And it's that idea of preparation that I want to talk about this morning. The activity that preparation is, the forethought that, acti- that preparation needs. And I want to take advantage of the fact that we're coming to the end of 2019. And because of the way our calendar works, we have an opportunity for the new year. It's a natural time where we evaluate where we are personally and a time where we can look forward to the new year, to what God has in store for us. And I want to challenge you this morning and this week and into the new year. I want you to take some time to evaluate where you are with Jesus and where you need to grow in this new year. And the truth is, and we'll see this in our text today, That growth and maturity in Christ does not happen on accident. It takes preparation, it takes initiative, and it takes a heart that desires that growth. And to understand that today, I want to look at Luke chapter 3 at the ministry of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus helps us to prepare for the new year in ways that God is going to grow us and change us. 
So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline providing your bulletin, is this. The new year gives us an opportunity to examine our lives of faith and change to better follow Jesus. So let's look at Luke chapter 3. Again, if you're following along in your outline there, we're going to see preparing for Jesus. Let's begin on verses 1 to 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Similarly to how Luke begins the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2 by talking about who was in charge in history, we see as John begins his ministry that Luke gives us a list of the people who were leading at that time. And this is the way to talk about when it happened, when in history John started his ministry. And for our purposes today, what I want you to understand from this list of names that are sometimes very hard to pronounce, and many of you are thankful that I'm the one reading them out loud. Amen. What I want you to see is that God is acting in history. That at this time, described by the different rulers of that time, we see in verse 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. God entered into history and called out his prophet John. God is actively at work in our world. And he is active in taking the initiative to bring sinners to salvation. And then we see in verse 3, which will be important as we go through the rest of the passage, we see a summary of John's work. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it is mentioned that he is the son of Zechariah to remind us of this is the promise made to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. But as we'll see in verses 4 to 6, it is also made to fulfill God's promises from the book of Isaiah. Let's look at verses 4 to 6 of chapter 3. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In talking about the ministry of Isaiah, Luke tells us that this was done in fulfillment to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 3 and 5. John's call was to prepare the way of the Lord. But we see 
in verses 5 and 6 that preparing the way of the Lord was not really something a man could do. Look at verses 5 and 6. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. It is God alone who can fill every valley and cause mountains to be made low. But in the, con- in the context of this cosmic road construction, there is a call for God's people to prepare their lives for God's coming and a strong reminder that it is God himself who is coming into the world. Prepare the way of the Lord. Be prepared for his coming. And just as John prepared the way for Jesus' first coming into ministry, we must make preparation for Jesus as we follow him. Again, following Jesus doesn't happen on accident. Following Jesus is not your default setting. And so as we think of this preparation, I want to give you two two ideas to hang your hat on as far as thinking about what does it mean to prepare for Jesus. The first is that preparation is a mindset. Preparation is an attitude that we have before the Lord. A couple words that come to my mind in thinking through this is a mindset of humility. We cannot be prepared for following Jesus if we are not coming to him in humility. But also, what today I'll refer to as passion. And what I mean by that is, I am not prepared for the Lord if I have no desire to do anything for him. If you don't care about something, if you're apathetic, it won't happen. And the difficult part of this is that no one can care for you. I can't care for you. I can't make you care about your walk with Jesus. Not even Pastor Dave can make you care about your walk for Jesus. And that's saying something. But it's that mindset of humility and caring, of passion about following Jesus that has to be a part of our preparation. But secondly, preparation is also intentionality. Another aspect of being prepared includes making plans and doing things for a purpose. Again, you think of all that goes into a housing development. All of even the boundary markers for the different lots, all the trees that need to get taken out, everything that needs to be flattened or raised, all the pipes and wires that need to go in, and that's even before you're getting the house started. In a similar way, following Jesus takes initiative. And again, I can't do that for you. I can't give you initiative. I can't say, go initiate. I could, but it wouldn't work. But as we think about living for the Lord in 2020, it must include intentionality. And it will often include 
planning. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's useful. If you don't have a plan for your money, you're going to run out real quick. And if this is true for money, how much more for our spiritual lives? If you're not intentional, it won't happen. And this calls us to be honest with ourselves. To take our spiritual journey seriously because no one else can do that for us. Now with that in mind, I want to look at the three categories of John's ministry that are described here in Luke chapter 3. Three actions that we have listed here that were central to what John and his ministry were about. And I want to apply that to how am I going to end 2019 and how am I going to begin 2020? So the first one there, point number two in your outline, is preparing repentance. Look at verses seven to nine with me. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As we saw in verse 3 earlier, central to John's ministry was a call for people to repent of their sins. And so as we think of this question, how do I prepare for Jesus, it must begin, foundational to that is a repentance of your sins. Even people who had a genetic connection to Abraham needed to repent. There are very few people better to be related to than Abraham. And you think of all the promises that were made to Abraham and his offspring. But that genetic connection could not save them. People in our day who grow up in a great Christian home still need to repent. Even if you know all of the Bible stories and everything it says, and you can memorize every Awana verse, you still need to repent. The only way to have a saving relationship with God is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. The beginning of a relationship with God is to accept that all of us are sinners and deserving of the judgment of God. To use the words of our text today, we are all vipers, children of wrath, and trees deserving of the acts of God's judgment. And so as you think of the end of this year into the new year, don't go into next year with the weight of your sin. Humble yourselves before the Lord and repent. Now maybe it's that first repentance 
that the Bible talks about, where maybe you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you after the service today about what that means to begin a lifelong relationship with God through repentance and faith. But for many of us here, we've, we've done that. But that doesn't mean the repentance is over. Even though we've placed our faith in Christ, we are still sinners. We're forgiven sinners, but we are still sinners by nature and by choice. And every believer still needs to practice regular repentance. Repentance to God, repentance to each other. And some of you are holding on to a weight of sin that needs to be repented. Don't delay confessing your sin. God's judgment is real and total. But through Christ, those who repent can find forgiveness. And so as you think about this past year and as you look to the next year, do you need some real repentance of sin in your life? Because when we confess that sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The next part of John's ministry that I want to look at this morning is preparing with holy living. That as we repent of what we have done, that God calls us to change who we are. You see in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. There's a life change that happens in the life of someone who has repented of their sins, and we see that specifically in verses 10 to 14. Follow along as I read. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. In these verses, we're introduced to three categories of people. But what is consistent about the three groups is that true repentance shows itself in a transformed life. It's one thing to say you have repented. It is another thing to actually live out that repentance in a transformed life. And Luke presents three different categories here. But as we look at them individually, I won't, don't miss, don't miss the, this detail, that the examples given are pretty normal. And they're pretty mundane. And they are the everyday stuff 
of our lives. And it shows us that following Jesus affects every part of our lives, not just the dramatic, but even, yes, the boring. And if you won't follow Jesus in the normal parts, why would you think that you would follow him in the exceptional or difficult parts? So let's look at example number one, the crowd. Let me read that again. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. We see in this crowd a call to be generous and to care for others. Simply put, they should share their clothes and their food. God's people must be generous people, sharing what they have to meet the needs of others. But notice that this call to generosity is not out of sheer abundance. Look at the text. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. God expects all of his people to be generous in the way that they can. So if you can give one shirt, give one shirt. If you can give 50 shirts, give 50 shirts. There's a generosity that we need as God's people. But it's also about caring not just about our own needs, but caring about the needs of others. Often we are God's instruments of his care. God is using us to provide for others. And I want you to think, again, as we end this year and look to the next year, how is God calling me to meet the needs of someone else? And not just care about him meeting my needs, but the needs of others. How am I going to be generous with my money, with my time, with my gifts? All of those things. A transformed life is a generous and caring life. Let's go to example two, the tax collectors. Verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Taxes worked a little different back then. Let me give you a little historical background about tax collectors back then. This is from one of the commentators. The collector would not only have to collect the tax that Rome had stipulated, but he would also have to add a surcharge to meet his expenses, an additional charge over which he had total control. So Rome expects a certain amount, but you could charge as much as you wanted. No strong regulation here. You could see how easily the system was abused. There's a call not to be greedy but to be content with what they are authorized to collect. It's also a call to not unjustly take advantage or manipulate the system for your own benefit, even when it is easy to do so. Show justice in your business dealings. Don't cheat your customers, charge 
what is fair. But also, more broadly, don't abuse your authority over someone else. Greed is a powerful drug. And a system that is easily abused in gray areas ethically is a place where God's people act with justice and righteousness even when they don't have to. Let's look on the third example, the soldiers. The soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Again, there is some overlap between the tax collectors and the soldiers. And while the tax collectors could manipulate the system, the soldiers could use brute force to get what they wanted. Especially back then, there's no court of appeals against the military. And oftentimes, as is still the case today, might means right. It is another call to not abuse the power you have over someone else. Don't take advantage of those who are weaker. And specifically, on top of that, don't lie to get what you want. And the root of all of this is explicitly stated here where it was implied to the tax collectors. Be content with your wages. This is not a command to never ask for a raise or to ever raise your prices, but it is a call to examine your heart about your money. There is a godly contentment that we must have trusting God, not our paycheck, to provide for our needs. It is a subtle idol that affects every part in history, every generation, every country. How much more in our country that comparatively is so rich compared to the rest of history and to the rest of the world? We don't need to lie or overpower people in a constant search for money. Repent of your greed and live with contentment. Now, obviously, much more could be said about the transformed life that we are called to live as followers of Jesus. And maybe you look at these examples and you're like, oh, I don't know how to apply this to my life. To use a phrase from Pastor Dave, allow these examples to prime the pump of your application. To start you thinking of how is God calling me to change? Not just what's the bare minimum I can get away with, but what is the positive good that I need to do? How is God calling to change not just the Sunday morning parts of your life, but the seven days a week, 24 hours a day parts of your life? Let's look at the third aspect of John's ministry this morning, and that is preparing 
with baptism. Let me read through verses uh, 15 to 22. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. For our purposes today, this morning, I merely want to highlight the centrality of baptism to John's ministry. Now this makes sense to most of us. We know him as John the Baptist. One of the reasons for this is that the repentance that John called for is internal and cannot be seen. If you repent, it's not like you have a different shine to you. I mean, not really. I was talking about this with some of our Awana kids, and I said, it's not like you have a new health bar like in a video game over your head. They understood that. If you don't, that's okay. (laughs) But God had John provide a visual picture of the internal reality of repentance. And the baptism of John was a picture of sincere repentance. That could be seen by others. And for our purposes today, when John talks about him baptizing with water and Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire, it's enough to say that it's a reference to the salvation of God purifying his people in anticipation of the final judgment and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But again, as we think about our lives in the new year, it's significant to see that Jesus, at the end of his ministry, continued the practice of water baptism. We see this in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus ordained, that's where we get the word ordinance, ordained the practice of baptism for his future disciples. Baptism, through Jesus, became a picture both of the repentance of sin and the new life 
in Christ. It's a picture that can be seen of us dying to our sin. You go under the water and being raised back to life as you come out of the water. It is a picture that Jesus commands for those who have placed their trust in him. And so as we think about the new year, some of you need to think about baptism. Let me speak to three general groups this morning about baptism. Number one, you've come to faith in Christ. You've repented of your sin. You've placed your personal trust in Christ, and you have never been baptized. If that's you, I want you to see in Scripture that baptism is a command of Jesus. And that if you have placed your faith in Christ, you need to be baptized. I'd love to talk with you if that's you. I'd love to talk with you after the service or shoot me a text or email during the week and we get together and talk about what that means, what it means to be baptized and why you should get baptized. The second group I want to talk to, and this is more a history of the free church here, is I get a lot of people asking questions about, well, I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to get baptized again? Now, if you come to our membership class, you have heard this wonderful answer that I'm about to give. And if you've never taken our membership class, you should take our membership class. But with that being said, here's the official stance for our church and our denomination on this. We do not require you to be baptized as an adult if you were baptized as a baby. We leave this up to your personal conscience before the Lord. Let me give two examples from my own family. My parents left on Friday, so I can use them as examples. Both of my parents were baptized as babies. My mom chose to be baptized again while my dad did not. What was the difference? Here's the general rule that I use in talking to people about this. When you look back at the church that baptized you, do you see a church that accurately preached the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, when my dad looked back, first of all, he, his dad was the pastor, so that's, you know, there's some comments about his dad here. But uh, when he looked back, he saw a church that accurately preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in his conscience, he did not feel that he needed to be baptized as an adult. My mom, on the other hand, when she looked back, she saw a church that did not preach the gospel. And so in her mind, in her conscience, she felt the desire to be baptized again. So again, this is another category that we see a lot here. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you about that. I'd love to wrestle with you about that. And it may be that God is calling you to be baptized in this coming year. The third group I want to talk to are the kids of our church. 
many of you are getting to the point where you are better able to make a mature commitment to Christ. As someone who grew up in the church, I know that there is a process that I went through. I remember making a profession of faith at a VBS when I was very young. And then I remember doing it again at a summer camp. And then I remember as a freshman in high school really saying, no, this is my faith. And it can be difficult for those who grow up in church to know when's the right time. But I know some of you kids are getting there. And maybe some of you are there this year. And so what I want you to do, and you guys know who you are, <laughs> I want you to talk to your parents this week. I want you to talk to them about their story of faith. I want you to ask them, when did you become a believer in Jesus? And then, if your parents think you're ready, then we'll have a conversation. Me, you, your parents, and we'll talk about, are you ready to be baptized and to make that profession of faith in front of your church family? Again, with all of this, let me just reiterate, if you have any questions about baptism, I want to talk to you about it because I think it's an important thing and it is something that Jesus commanded for his followers. And again, as you're thinking about this new year, how is God calling you to be obedient? Maybe for some of you, that is baptism this year. Let me finish up this morning with some application for us. More review of application here. Number one, make a plan for the new year. Would you truly this year, or the end of this year, take time to consider how God is calling you to change? Be intentional about your life of following Jesus. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen on accident. Join a small group, join a Bible study, commit to a reading program. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to use your gifts and talents in a new way to serve somebody this year. Make a plan to share the gospel with an unbeliever in your life. Number two, be quick to repent. Don't go into this new year with the weight of sin on your heart. And whether that's the first time or the millionth time, go into the new year with repentance. Repent and be forgiven today. Thirdly, what changes do you need to make in your life? Like the crowds, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, where do you need to change and be obedient to Christ? Is it how you run your business? Is it how you lead your family? Is it taking the time to be generous and to care about the needs of others? Obedience is rarely exceptional work. Most of our obedience to Christ is in the small and normal details of life. But that's where real life happens. 
And finally, for some of you, make a decision on baptism. It's an external sign of an internal reality. There's nothing magical. We don't get special water, though Jim Walker makes sure it's nice and warm so you don't freeze. But maybe that's for you this year. And if so, I'd love to talk to you today after service or this week. We can set up a time. But I'd love to talk with you about that. Don't neglect the advantage of the new year. Think about this past year and prepare for the new year of following Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that calls us to repent and to lead a transformed life of following you. We thank you for the salvation that comes through repentance of sin and faith in Christ and that we would not be apathetic to our lives of discipleship, but with intentionality and passion, we would follow you with everything that we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.